The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. God woos us. He loves us into the kingdom of God. But we come to the edge where we must decide. Do you wish to get well? And the word well here means fullness. It encapsulates wholeness. He didn't say to this man simply, do you wish to get healed? But do you wish to get well? And there are people today who just want the benefits of Christianity, but they really do not want wholeness. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The Healing at Bethesda. Pastor Carl has been preaching from the book of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And today, he will cover the master who is sovereign. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Finally, I want us to consider the master who is sovereign. Look at verse 8. Jesus said to him, Arise! Take up your pallet and walk. Major question. How do you take someone who is stuck in unbelief and give them a new perspective? Only by giving them faith. Well, how do you give faith to someone? The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what does this man get? He gets a word from sovereign God. Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And those words are living and active as are all of God's word. It pierces the heart of this man. This man never stops for a moment upon reflection to see whether this is an impossible command. In faith, his limbs respond. He is flooded uh, with, with strength in those paralyzed limbs. And he gets up and he walks. Now, very clearly... He doesn't know at this point that this is God in human flesh, the Messiah, the promised Christ that is speaking to him. At this point, he doesn't even know his name. He doesn't know he's having a direct encounter with God Almighty. And even as I preached this morning, and some of you hear me teach from this book we call the Bible, you may not know that the book I am preaching from is the only book on the face of the earth that God inspired. You may not know that it is the authoritative word of God, but as I speak, as I preach God's word, you know because it touches the heart that it is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and that's why God can hold you accountable. You may never have the opportunity in this life. You may get wiped out this week through death. And you won't be able to say, well, God, I never had a chance to study all the apologetic reasons for the validity of the Christian faith. It won't cut with God because as I preach God's word, it touches the heart and deep down inside you know it's true. And this man knew it was true. And he responded in faith. And immediately, verse 9, the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. John briefly mentions it took place on a Sabbath day. Why? Because he wants to set the stage for the confrontation that will follow. 
Therefore, the Jews were saying to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Now, the term the Jews, we studied it, if you remember, from chapter one. Specifically, it's a reference to the Pharisees who held the real power at this time. That's how it's used and defined in chapter one. The Jews, these religious leaders reminded this man who had been cured on the Sabbath that it took place on the Sabbath. In fact, that's what they emphasize in the original text. Sabbath is in the emphatic position. It's like underlined in red. It reads, a Sabbath it is. And it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. They reminded this man that it was a Sabbath, and therefore it was not permissible for him to work on the Sabbath by carrying his pallet. Now, what text of Scripture might they have been using? Well, probably... Jeremiah 17 and verse 21 there, thus says the Lord, take heed for yourselves. Do not carry any load on the Sabbath day or bring anything in through the gates of Jerusalem. Now, the problem with these Jews is that in their strict observance of God's law, they followed its letter and they forgot its spirit. The Old Testament had forbidden work on the Sabbath, but what's work? Well, the assumption, as you read it in most contexts, refers to your employment. And really, even in this verse in Jeremiah, people who are vendors who carry their goods through the gates to sell them. And he said, don't do that on the Sabbath day. However, the religious leaders of the day had carefully defined work by their own traditions. You can read some of the People who lived in this day, their writings have come down to us. For instance, one rabbi says, if you have a toothache on the Sabbath, you cannot put vinegar on your teeth to alleviate the toothache. Otherwise, it's work. However, he writes, if you happen to be eating some food and you put some vinegar on your food and in the process your tooth is healed, it's okay. All kinds of weird things like that. Now, one interesting regulation, and I quote directly, it's put in the 20th century English, a rabbi from this day wrote, that if a man took out a living man on a couch, he is not culpable by reason of the couch, since the couch was secondary. See, they recognized that God allowed acts of compassion on the Sabbath, and the Lord in some of his miracles will appeal to this very truth. So if a man was sick and on his couch and you carried the man on his couch, that was an act of compassion, so it was not work. But the problem in this case is the man is carrying the couch. So these Jews, they don't rejoice in the great miracle that has been done. They focus in their legalistic ways on the violation of the Sabbath law. Now... It's interesting, we know that Christ was not asking this man to break the Sabbath for at least two reasons. Number one, the Bible says God cannot tempt anyone with evil. And since Jesus Christ is God, everything he ever did was right. And number two, Christ was not asking this man to break the Sabbath by working. Because carrying around the man's mat, carrying around mats for a living is not what the man did for his job. But you see, the Lord's dealing with legalists here. He's not asking the man to break the Sabbath. He's asking him to defy the legalism that had sucked all the joy out of the Sabbath. And what God had really intended to be a blessing in that day, the Pharisees, by their dozens of rules and regulations, had made it a great chore and burden. 
Now, according to these Jews, I guess the man should have left his pallet there until the Sabbath was over, or else he should have uh, left his bed there, you know, chancing it might have been stolen. But listen, this guy is poor. Lay aside that Christ told him to pick it up. He's poor. It would be unthinkable. This fellow would have been assigned to poverty in the first century by his infirmity. But Christ in essence said, forget all their legalistic traditions. I'm the one who made the Sabbath. You do what I say. The man answers him. Look at verse 11. He answers the crowd. He who made me well was the one who said to me, take up your pallet and walk. Now, you know, it must have been obvious to this man, if not to these Pharisees, these Jews, that the one who healed him had a greater authority than what they had. I mean, think about it for just a second. He just by his words spoke. And this man who had been by this pool for over 38 years instantly was healed. How do you explain it? He either comes with the authority and power of God, and if he comes with the authority and power of God, if God is behind him, God would not break his own rules on the Sabbath. Or he's performing a miracle by the power of the devil. And so Christ repeatedly does miracles on the Sabbath because he's going to call their hand. They must decide, do what I do. Is it what I do by the authority of Almighty God or by the devil? You choose. You know what many of them chose. By Beelzebul, you cast out demons. By Beelzebul, you did the miracle, Matthew 12. So they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? Who is the one who healed you? But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away from the crowd. Remember, people had Messiah fever in this day, and they wanted a Messiah who would crush Rome, who would make Israel a great superpower again. Because that's one picture of Messiah in the Old Testament. But it's a picture that relates not to the first coming, but to the second coming. When he comes the first time, he comes as a suffering servant. When he comes the second time, he comes as a sovereign Lord. Afterward, we're told, Jesus found him in the temple. Jesus slipped away. The crowd is just, uh, they're, they're just dumbfounded by all that is happening. They're amazed at what is happening. And they're looking at this man. He slips away. And so Jesus found him in the temple. And no doubt he expected him to be there. He knew this man, knew everything about him. Maybe this is one of the reasons he chose this man. I'm sure there were other people with paralysis. But this man had something in his heart that was responsive to the Lord. Remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers? Only one turned around and said, thank you, Lord. Jesus said, where are the other nine? Did I not heal them as well? So this man, according to the prescribed offering of the Old Testament, goes to the temple. And Jesus, knowing that he would go there, meets him. Because he's interested not just in his physical healing, but his spiritual healing. So Jesus said to him, Behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse may befall you. Now, if you've read John chapter 9, you know that the Lord will repudiate the idea that all sickness is caused by sin. 
But he does not say in John chapter 9 that sickness is never caused by sin. And here's a case in point. Behold, you become well, don't sin anymore, so nothing worse may befall you. The implication is clear. The sickness in his case came as a result of this man's sin. Though the specific sin is not told to us, Christ's statement makes a very clear connection between the two. Maybe he was drunk and he fell off a wall and got paralyzed. We don't know precisely what the connection is. We're not told. But it's kind of sobering that this man's condition could become worse if he went back to whatever kind of sin that it was. This sin that had robbed this man of so much of life that made him a paralytic. Now, very clearly, there are many other reasons, and when we come to John chapter 9, we will study them as to why people get sick, and it has absolutely nothing to do with sin. And we'll look at those in the ninth chapter. But many people don't want to admit it, but there's a lot of sickness today that is the result of sin. Most AIDS cases... Some 30-plus sexually transmitted diseases that they have absolutely no cure for is a result of promiscuous lifestyle and perversion. Sometimes high blood pressure, collapsing joints, heart problems can be the result of gluttony, laziness, smoking, or the illicit use of drugs. Sometimes we don't want to admit that sickness can be linked to sin. And really, in the broadest sense, all sickness comes from sin because all sickness is derived from the fall of man. But that's not what our Lord is speaking about here. Very clearly, he's speaking here of some particular ailment that came from this man's particular sin. And by the way, don't ever get proud saying, well, I'm healthy, I must be righteous. Remember in Luke 13, 1 through 5? When some people said, oh, what about those poor slobs over there? What sin did they do that that national tragedy would come upon them? What, what, what sin did they commit? And Jesus twice over says, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, this man can give their answer to their question. Who is it you made you well? It is Jesus who made him well. He knew it now. Now, he is not trying to protect his backside, as a few commentators say. I don't think you can come to that conclusion. The Pharisees, what are they doing? Well, by their first question, their original question that he could not answer, that he can now answer, they emphasize the offense. Who told you to take up your pallet and walk? That is to say, who is it that told you to work on the Sabbath? They emphasize the offense. What did this man do? He emphasizes the healing. He didn't say it was Jesus who told me to took out my bed. He said it was Jesus who made me whole. Now, all the details are not given here, but this man didn't have to go back to them. In fact, to go back to them was really to risk his own skin because he was guilty of working on the Sabbath. It would have invited great, potentially, persecution. But this man is unashamed of Christ 
as is every true believer. He, in essence, is making his open, public confession of faith. It was the Lord Jesus. It was Yeshua, Jehovah, who is salvation. He made me well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting him. Now, remember, John writes this gospel. Many other signs he did that aren't written in this book, but these have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. There's a purpose for this book being written. There's a lot of other miracles he did, but the miracles he wrote down, he wrote down for a reason, so that one, you might believe in the Christ, and number two, having believed, you might really know the life he offers. Now remember, these are signs, miracles, with a message. So what are the spiritual lessons we can learn from this miracle? Let me suggest three to you this morning as we close. Number one, first, I must validate my weakness. I learned first from this miracle that I must validate my weakness. I have to admit my own spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritually speaking, we're all paralyzed. We're all unable to help ourselves. And those of us who've been saved, we are unable to live the Christian life by ourselves. Unless the Lord does it through us, we are helpless. Now, the Bible speaks in terms of our salvation. For while we're still helpless... The right time Christ died for the ungodly. Unless you come to the point in your life where you admit to God, God, my deeds can't save me, my good moral works can't even help save me, then you're unsavable. You have got to come helpless, bankrupt. God does not help those who help themselves. He saves the ungodly, those who know they are not good enough, who fall short, who are helpless. Now, what was the primary source of this man's weakness? His sin. Behold, you become well. Don't sin anymore, lest something worse happens to you. Now, while that's not the source of everyone's physical weakness, Jesus, out of the multitude, picked this one individual out because he wants to illustrate it is the primary source of all of our spiritual weaknesses because by nature, by choice, by birth, by practice, we are all sinners in the need of a Savior. And unless I validate my weakness, I'll never be saved and I'll never have power for living as a believer. Number two, I must activate my will. Jesus asked them, asked him, do you will to get well? Now, God, again, will never coerce your will. He'll enable your will through his wooing love, through his pleading preachers, through his inspired word. But he will never coerce your will. He will never force himself upon you. God didn't make you like a machine. He made you as a free moral agent that you might have fellowship with him. Whosoever will may come. And if you don't want to come, there's not enough angels in heaven to drag you down the aisle to be saved. And if you want to be saved, there's not enough demons in hell to keep you out. No, it is a choice you must make. The free will of man and the sovereignty of God are both taught in Holy Scripture. And so the Lord literally asks him, do you will to get well? The fact that God respects human will makes God no less sovereign Listen, God will not force anyone to go to hell. If you go to hell, it's because of choices that you made about Jesus Christ. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever will may come. Do you wish 
to get well. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. God woos us. He loves us into the kingdom of God. But we come to the edge where we must decide. Do you wish to get well? And the word well here means fullness. It encapsulates wholeness. He didn't say to this man simply, do you wish to get healed? But do you wish to get well? And there are people today who just want the benefits of Christianity, but they really do not want wholeness. When Andrew Jackson was the president of the United States in 1829, there was a man on death row by the name of George Wilson who was sentenced to murder in the state of Pennsylvania for mail robbery and murder. They took the pardon uh, that the president gave him to the governor of the state and in turn to the place where he was incarcerated. And all he had to do was sign the president's pardon and he would be released. But George Wilson said, I will not accept the pardon. I refuse it. I want to be hanged. Well, this had never happened before in the history of our nation. What do you do with a man who won't receive a pardon with a man who's supposed to be hanged until he's dead and he refuses to receive it. Well, it ended up in the Supreme Court of the United States. At the time, John Marshall was the chief justice and in his unanimous decision, he wrote these words, and I quote, a pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which depends upon its acceptance by the person implicated. If it is refused, it is no pardon at all. And as a result, he was hung by the neck until he died. Jesus Christ provided a way of escape from you, for you. He, his blood is sufficient to save anyone in this room. But it will not become efficient for you until you will to be made well. Finally, I must initiate my walk. And immediately the Bible says the man became well and he took up his pallet and he began to walk. Now remember, this is a sign that is teaching a greater spiritual lesson. He didn't write this gospel just to tell us about paralyzed people who need to be healed, but to teach us some valuable spiritual lessons. Only God can save a soul, and once God saves a soul, only God can make that person by his power godly. But you have a role to play in it. Most of us who know haven't memorized Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It, salvation, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. But then the next verse says, For we are his workmanship, his poema, his poetry, created in Christ Jesus for or unto good works. Three critical prepositions in the original. By, through, unto. Say by grace through faith, unto good works. Now think about it as it relates to this man. How is this man healed? By grace. There was nothing he could do. He was paralyzed. And so are we. We're dead in our sin, and we can only be saved by the sheer grace of God. The Lord was not taunting this man when he said, get up and walk. The Lord had the power to deliver him, and he has the power to deliver you from the deadness of your sin. But how did it become real? Through faith. He had to believe this man's word. He had to believe the word of the Son of God and by taking up his bed. And so in simple trust, he did that. Now, this man's plan of waiting in line 
didn't work and neither will your plan. Only God's plan will work, but you must come through faith. Now, when the man was healed, when he walked, did he walk because he was healed? Or was he healed because he walked? Well, he walks because he's healed. And if you're saved, you will do good works. And if you don't do good works as a pattern and show some fruit, it just means you've never been saved. It's that simple. But understand, there is an initiation that those who have been saved are to do. Because it's obvious that some believers do more than others. God saved you by grace through faith onto good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God has a plan for your life, but you must initiate that plan. You must spend time lingering in the, in the presence of Almighty God, spending time with Him, letting Him speak to your heart. Some of you are going to miss an opportunity today in Sunday school because you're just ready to get out of here and go home and watch football or some other news show or something else you're going to do today. When God may want to speak to you through another hour or this week in a quiet time and because you are so busy, you are missing the opportunity that God has. I don't want to get to heaven and for God to say, Carl, this is really what I wanted you to do, but because you never got quiet and still enough in my presence, you missed the best that I had for you. Oh, here's a man. who recognized, I must validate my weakness. I must activate my will, but I must initiate my walk. Now, our Father, we thank you for this time to be in your word. I pray today for someone who's here who really does not have the assurance that if Christ comes today, that they would go to heaven. Thank you that our Lord and Savior didn't die for some of our sin, but all of it, that anyone who wants to be saved can be saved if they will in simple faith will to be saved through faith. Help someone to say in simple faith, Father, Lord Jesus, save me. You believe God can do that? He says he can. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord at that moment will be saved, the Bible says. God made a provision. He took all of your punishment through a substitute so he can save you today. Today is the day of salvation. Now, if you've been saved and you're living down in a hole, I would ask you this morning, do you wish to get well? Will you validate your weakness? Will you activate your will? Will you initiate your walk? Father, help your people who have been born again to make vital decisions today that together we might walk with the Savior. We ask it for the glory of His name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program John 012. Our calling at Search the Scriptures is to lead unbelievers into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to grow believers in that relationship. If you can help support this mission with a one-time or regular gift, 
Click the Give button in either the Search the Scriptures app on our website or visit searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.